Hello and welcome to The North in Numbers, a podcast that gets the human stories behind the stats. I'll be your host, Annie Goke. As a data journalist, I write local news stories based on statistics for regional papers up and down the country. Each fortnight, I'll be looking at the figures that particularly affect the North and speaking to experts and those most affected to get their take on the issues facing our communities. In this episode, I take a look at the huge rise in knife crime seen across the North and the devastating effect it's had on communities in Merseyside in particular. You'll hear from a mother who tragically lost her teenage son, the locals campaigning to make a difference, the Chief Inspector of Merseyside Police and the Liverpool Echo's crime reporter. The aftermath and the ripple effect that it has on my family has been horrendous. And if I could have Daniel back now, I, I, I would take everything off me, anything material, you keep it, just give me my son back. As I say, I wouldn't want anyone, no mother should have to bury their son. Mandy Jameson lost her teenage son Daniel in 2018 after he was stabbed in the leg by a boy during a fight. Her family is just one of many across the North who have had their lives shattered by a rising tide of knife crime in the region. In 2018-19, there were 12,971 serious crimes involving a knife recorded by police across the North of England. That's an increase of 28% compared to the year before, when there were 10,109 serious knife crimes recorded and a huge rise from 6,857 recorded in 2010-11. Merseyside has seen one of the steepest increases, both in the north and across the country as a whole. In the area, cases of serious knife crime have more than doubled, from 594 cases in 2010-11 to 1,404 incidents in the last year. Most of those crimes were assault, either with injury or with intent to cause serious harm. Robbery was also a common type of knife crime seen in the area. However, there were also 77 threats to kill recorded, 23 cases of rape and sexual assault, 12 of attempted murder, and 7 actual homicides. I spoke to Joe Thomas, crime reporter at the Liverpool Echo, to see what might be behind the increase in knife crime seen in Merseyside. I think Merseyside, like most of the country, has fallen a trend, an upward trend in relation to knife crime. But it's certainly something that we've seen more of in recent years. I think public awareness, to some degree, is a reason for that. But essentially, I think that the conditions have just got worse, unfortunately. Obviously, you mentioned 2010. There is an obvious starting point in relation to you know, austerity programmes and things like that. And I think what we've seen in recent years is, sadly, we have seen the consequences of pulling so many resources out of our communities, one of them being... less support for families, less support for young children um, who are in those communities. And as a result of that, you end up with with more crime, including knife crime. I also spoke to the Chief Inspector of Merseyside Police, Andy Creer, to get the opinion of someone on the front line of tackling knife crime. There's a number of reasons, I think, why knife crime is increasing. So, you know, we know um, some people carry weapons for their own protection. So, you know, the question I always sort of pose really is the more publicity that we do around knife crime want to try and reassure the public that we are taking it seriously um, does that put a fear into people's minds you know potentially it does so we have to strike a balance really between do we always uh, publicly advertise all the work that we're doing which is a significant amount of work you know I, I can I can assure you of that but does that actually put fear into people's minds so does that does that one person think if the police are doing all this work around knife crime, there must be a real issue. I better carry a knife for, for my own protection. Now, we, we, it's easy to say to people, the research will tell us, if you carry a knife, you, you're more likely to become the victim of knife crime. But is that an issue? Is that something we... Well, it is something that we, we, we always sort of consider when we're putting out um, stories into the media, etc. 
Joe also believes that the problem is self-perpetuating, with more people carrying knives leading others to do the same in order to protect themselves. When you have groups of, of well, when you have gangs, groups of troublemakers, quite often if they think that they might be involved in trouble, they'll carry a weapon you know, to protect themselves in case they ever need it or to intimidate others if they're perhaps going out to try and you know, target people, whether they be rival gang members or whether they be innocent members of the public that they perhaps want to steal from. Um, so you have that element, but then the problem is that as a side effect of that, as more knives are being carried, more people feel that the only way that they can protect themselves is by carrying a knife themselves. And the way the statistics you know, work is they, they, they show that if you are carrying a knife, regardless of whatever reason, whether it be in to protect yourself or whether it be because you feel like you might want to go out and target somebody, the chances are that you will more likely be a victim of knife crime. The figures we have from the Home Office are only available for Merseyside as a whole, but Joe believes the problem is more prevalent in Liverpool in particular. It's, it's a whole of Merseyside, and like it is with the whole of the country. Um, but I think that when you have uh, a big city, and particularly when you have a, a city centre with a, a vibrant nightlife, which for the most part of it is safe, but obviously it attracts a lot of people into a small area you know, multiple times a week. Um, there are more police around, obviously there are more security staff around. It's harder to carry you know, perhaps you know, weapons such as guns and things like that. Knives are far easier to hide, far easier to get away with. Um, and you have more volatile atmosphere in, in, the, in the nightlife. So I think that there is more knife crime in Liverpool. And I think much of that is because you know, rather than the situation being any worse in Liverpool, it's a case of you have a, a big club land that attracts lots of people. And with the hundreds of thousands of innocent people that want to go out for a good time to either shop or to party... You know, you do get small elements you know, that might be dealing drugs or things like that. You know, they're there for the opportunistic, the black market trade. And what are they going to do in case that they get into any trouble? Well, they'll probably carry a knife. Separate figures acquired by the BBC suggest that Liverpool is not only the worst area in Merseyside for knife crime. It's also one of the worst in the country, even compared to other large cities. A Freedom of Information request sent to all police forces in England and Wales revealed that Liverpool saw 16 serious knife crimes for every 100,000 people in 2018. That's a higher rate than many of London's boroughs and other major cities such as Newcastle, Birmingham and Leeds. It is unclear why the rate of serious knife crime is higher in Liverpool compared to other cities, but there are a few factors which may be at play. Alan Walsh is the founder of Anfield and North Liverpool Boxing Club, which works with young people to reduce knife crime in the city. He set up the club after being stabbed himself 27 years ago and believes gangs may be contributing to the high rate seen in Liverpool. It's one of them things in Liverpool, we do have a lot of gangs, we do. We can't get away from that fact. So once one gang will hear that the other gangs are arming themselves, they'll want to arm themselves. Um, if it goes down to school like wildfire, somebody's got a knife. So what you'll find the next day, somebody else might bring a knife in. Colleges and universities aren't exempt from this either. So it's, it's, it's one of them. Meanwhile, Joe thinks council cuts are a possible factor. Well, Liverpool has been affected by austerity far more and government cuts far more than most other cities, not just in the north, but in the, in the whole country. You know, Liverpool Council has been one of the worst hits and you know, it is an area that, where there is a lot of deprivation um, you know, across the whole of Merseyside. And obviously that does have a knock-on effect when you withdraw the resources um, from 
from the areas and obviously the lack of support is going, you, you're going to get more things like crime. I think you only have to look at Merseyside Police, which has lost the best part of 80-odd million pounds in funding since 2010, equates to around you know 1,500 members of staff. Well, if there's less police on the streets, it's obviously going to be more issues on those streets. Budget cuts to central government funding in the name of austerity have meant that Liverpool Council have seen their spending power drop from £636 million in 2010-11 to £458 million in 2019-20. When inflation is taken into account, along with the growing population, that works out as a loss of around £737 per person. That's £300 more per person than the national average. Those cuts have resulted in far less money being spent on youth services, which are vital in the fight against knife crime. According to research by the YMCA, youth services in Liverpool have seen their funding drop in real terms by 73% in less than a decade. Spending has fallen from around £16.8 million in 2010-11 to just £4.5 million in 2018-19. It's a loss that Mandy Jameson says has been keenly felt in the city. There is no youth centres. There is nothing. There is nothing for them to do. And I've been saying this from day one. The kids have got nothing, so they tend to accumulate in all these gangs. You're building all these houses with which then brings in all families, but they don't make nothing for the children to do. I'm running around trying to get bits of funding to open the community centre, and the door just gets shut on me. I want a community centre open seven days a week. Anything that they want to do, we will do. We will guide them, put them on the right path with people who've got life skills, people who know what they're talking about because they've lived it. And it's, that's what the kids need, someone to look up to. They don't need to be told, you can't do this and you can't do that. If we, if we want them to respect us, we have to respect them too. And we've got to listen. Youth services are so important in the fight against knife crime because those involved tend to be young men. Across the country, more than 5,000 people ended up in hospital after being assaulted with a knife or other sharp object. The vast majority of them male. More than 1,000 of that number were aged 10 to 19 while around 1,800 were between 20 and 29. It means more than half of all victims were under the age of 30. I asked Chief Inspector Andy Creer what the situation looks like in Merseyside. So when we look around the data that we've got, 18 to 24-year-olds are more likely to be the victims of knife crime and also the offenders uh, of knife crime, that's across Merseyside. Now, obviously, there's older people involved. There are often younger people uh, involved for a whole host of reasons. So, again, like in line with other cities across the UK, we are seeing younger people becoming involved for a variety of reasons, but particularly being exploited uh, quite often around the drug trade. So being forced to uh, get involved in drug dealing and then actually carrying a knife either for their own protection or to put fear into other people. However, while those involved in knife crime tend to be young men, there is very little else connecting perpetrators. Nikki Whitby is a probation service officer working directly with knife crime offenders in Liverpool. Um, I think it's difficult to kind of generalise, um, really. You know, we do see a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. Um, people get involved in criminality for very different reasons, don't they? But part of our work is to kind of look at when that happened, how that happened, why that happened, and kind of work through them. Andy agrees that knife crime can affect people from many different backgrounds. I think people tend to stereotype a knife crime offender, whatever that might look like, as, as someone who's, who's been in trouble previously, who's involved in drugs and gangs and, and this kind of thing. But we have seen um, youngsters in possession of knives for that, because of that fear factor, um, from what people would generally class as good backgrounds, uh, they go to school every day, all that kind of stuff, but actually because they've got that fear in their mind that they may be subject to 
crime that they may take a weapon uh, with them to school. So that so it isn't just a one size fits all. When we look at knife crime offenders, there is a whole array of people from very different backgrounds who find themselves caught up in knife crime, and it's about identifying them. I think from an early stage to prevent them going to prison and then trying to deal with the aftermath or when they've injured someone or, or fatally killed someone. It's trying to stop that beforehand. It's something that Alan Walsh has also seen in his work with the boxing club. I don't think knife crime's got any barriers at the moment and I honestly don't believe that. It's, it, it's going across all cultures, it's going across all age gaps and whatever else and it's definitely crossed the working class divides into the middle class and upper class echelons as well. We've gone from the rougher schools to the more... And every one of them have got a knife crime issue, every single one of them. But you've got most probably the biggest difference is you've got kids coming from more affluent communities and stuff like that who are carrying knives because they think they're protecting themselves and stuff like that, so they're getting that false message out to themselves where we're going to be safer with a knife and stuff like that. As mentioned, some people carry knives because they think it offers them protection. I asked Alan what the outcome might actually be. Death. Simple as that. The, 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 the end product could be death. Long prison sentence, um, unemployment, all the nicer things, but the, only, the biggest thing they could face is death, and that's it. Or, do you know what, sometimes I've spoke to a few people who've got scars and really bad scars and being stabbed and that and sometimes they wish they were dead because of the impact it has. It's, um, I don't want to go on about mine but I, now I need a new hip and new, my legs absolutely knackered where they stabbed me. It's, it's mental health side of it 20 odd years later because it's worse now than what it was when I got actually stabbed. So it's it, it's a life of turmoil. It is. It's for the victim and for the perpetrator. For somebody who goes and stabs somebody they would like to sit at the end of bed and just say do you know what let's see how easy you sleep. And the prison's not as easy as what people think. So these, this, I'm going to prison, it's dead easy and whatever. But the end product for them could be death. You go and stab somebody, that family wants revenge. And that's it, and never. It's one of them cycles that we can, we've got to try and stop, but sometimes we can't stop it. And there's, there's some families that will, won't sit back and let it happen to their kids, and they will take revenge on it. That may be the next day, maybe 10 years down the line, but you will. So you're always looking over your shoulder as well. Carrying a knife is not good. It doesn't end in any... There's, there's no fun in it. It doesn't end in good with anyone. Nikki's also seen firsthand the effect that knife crime can have, beyond those actually caught up in it. Oh, they have a massive impact. Massive impact on the family, not just because the um, offender's gone to prison or, you know, it's about kind of the knock-on effect that's had with, with everyone. And then, you know, obviously the victims and the victim's family, the impact's massive. Paul Bentley is an MMA fighter who started the No More Knives campaign after his son's friend, Sam Cook was stabbed to death in 2017. He decided to take action after seeing the impact that similar incidents had been having on his local community. It's tearing the families apart. The problem we have is the local communities are the ones who are creating it also. Unfortunately, it's a catch-22. I mean, in Liverpool, we've always been known as the city that fights for each other. We've always been known as that really close-knit family who, if somebody's got a problem, we'll stick up for them. Even even the black-handed lads in the communities, you know what I mean? Even them have always been the type of lad, like a Robin Hood type of thing. Look, she's struggling there, I'll bear out. We've always had that. But it just seems that recently we're killing our own. Like the, 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 the youth today, they have no value for life. They don't understand that taking a life away is its the biggest sin ever. It's its its, it's shocking. I don't get I, I couldn't do it personally. Do you like as though some of the youth are just massively uneducated because you kill somebody, you, you, your life's done anyway. I mean, for you to just kill somebody, your life's over because you're going to prison or you're going to get killed. So I, 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 what, what goes through somebody's head? Because when you think about it also, let's, let's think about white people are murdered. 
a lot of the time there's no reason why they're murdered. It's not good enough, is it? There's never a good enough reason someone's be killed by all means, you know. But if someone's being killed for an underpound bill, someone's being killed because someone's girlfriend. I mean, I understand they all crap things, but to lose your life, it just shows there's no way, there's no value for life no more with these kids. We need to give them something so they value themselves. And that's the habit trying to create something like that. As knife crime has escalated, the number of people being injured or killed has also increased. Nationally, 5,024 people were hospitalised after being stabbed in 2018-19, the highest number since at least 2012-13, when the figures began. Meanwhile, 681 people were stabbed to death in the year to June 2019. That's down from 719 homicides the year before, but up by 20% from 569 fatalities in the 12 months to June 2015, the earliest year available. In Merseyside, around 250 people were put in hospital with stab wounds in the last year alone. Seven people were killed. Joe Thomas has covered many of those deaths for the Liverpool Echo. There's been some, some really, really tragic cases, and, and one of the things that is perhaps different with knife crime in a way to you might see with gun crime is, although you do get innocent victims caught up with gun crime, quite often shootings are carried out by people who are rivals with each other and known to each other. Of course, that doesn't make the attacks justified, but they're perhaps a little bit more expected. What we see with, with knife crime on Merseyside, perhaps, is a few more incidents where victims who have never had a background in trouble get caught up because it can be far more spontaneous. It's far easier for somebody to get hold of a knife. It's far easier for somebody to cause damage with a knife in terms of, I think, you know, the threshold of slashing a knife is, whilst it's a big one to get over, I think in the spur of the moment it's different to pulling a trigger on a gun because you don't think that the consequences are necessarily going to be quite as bad as quickly. So it is a problem that perhaps in, in, is different to other criminal trends in the fact that it, it affects everybody. Daniel G. Jameson was just 16 years old when he was killed in what's known locally as a straightener, a fight between two people to settle their differences. His mother, Mandy, explains what happened. Um, Daniel, for many years, was being bullied by a group of 27 boys that lived in the Belvale area. He did tell me, I mean, I knew basically everything that was going on with it. They used to set fire to his hair, did jump and when he got off the bus, you know, from school and things like that. I, in the end, I had no choice but to keep him safe. What I thought would be to send him to his dad. He'd only been there six months. And all he wanted to do was, he was a mummy's boy, was be able to come down safely without being jumped. And he had, he'd he been training five nights a week in his boxing. Uh, straightener was arranged, unknown to me. I am the only one thing that I didn't know. And um, when he got there, he was only with two friends. And I'm proud to say he fought with his fists. The boy that he was supposed to fight with, who I'm not allowed to mention for legal reasons, um, seeing the size Daniel had gone and got a boy who never had a fight in his life, who shouldn't have really fought my son. And what he said to him was, and this is noted in the court, so I can't say it, if you don't fight Daniel, I'll cut your face and set fire to you that's house. The boy was terrified. Daniel won the fight anyway, and he pulled a knife out and stabbed him in the thigh, which then went right through his femoral artery. He then twisted it. So the surgeon later on has told us that Daniel was basically dead then. How he managed to get off the field and onto the road, I still don't know. Um, I got there a couple of minutes later. 
all I could see was chaos and blood, and I basically had to watch my son bleed out on the floor. It took 35 minutes for an ambulance to come, which I don't understand. As I say, it's a... I knew he was dying then, you could see it. I had to watch the colour drainers of his face. I asked Mandy how she's been coping since Daniel's death. Oh, it's been horrendous. It's a... I went through a, a lot of phases where when it first rained, you know, after he'd been buried, me and my sister ran up and put the umbrellas, you know, over it because he hated the rain. And I said to the funeral woman, because he hated spiders, and I said, well, you double seal it, because he doesn't like... I know it's not him, but I'm his mum. I can't smell him no more. It's a... It's, it is. The only way I can explain it is, is that... When someone's taken something from you that they had no right to take, you'll never, ever get that back. And it's like, um, sometimes you feel yourself, you, it gets like, you can't breathe. It is, it's not something I would want any mum to have to go through. Yeah. Mandy hasn't taken the loss of her son lying down, however. Since his death, she has been speaking out against knife crime in schools and prisons and has set up the community network Danny's Place in his memory. As she has already mentioned, they are currently trying to get funding to set up a community centre that will be open seven days a week to take children off the streets and give them a range of activities to take part in. It's a common theme in Liverpool. Many of those now fighting for change have experienced the effects of knife crime firsthand. As Joe Thomas from The Echo explains, Alan Walsh and Paul Bentley are just two more of them. There's been a massive community response. Um, and what you have in Merseyside is you have a lot of people running a lot of different projects in a bid to try and tackle it. And it, it's most effective at a grassroots level. And what you're seeing is essentially where government cuts have led to a lack of resources, you know, the lack of help from police, from councils, from the NHS um, and, and from other organisations as well. What you're now finding is that essentially it's communities often that have been hit by a tragedy trying to, you know, take their own initiative and prevent other things from happening. You have a number of organisations in Merseyside that have been set up by the victims of, uh, of stabbings, from Adam Ellison, who was stabbed to death in Prescott, to Daniel Fox, who was stabbed to death in St Helens. Um, you know, they're both heavily involved in initiatives. You have Daniel G. Jameson, who was stabbed to death in, in Belvale, and his mum is, is a very keen advocate of having more resources within that community to try and help occupy and to educate children and teenagers in that area. Beyond that, you also have uh, things like youth centres. A lot of boxing clubs are very, very active in taking children off the streets and trying to teach them discipline and trying to teach them that, you know, they don't have to resort to knives um, if ever they have any trouble. And you also have people like Paul Bentley, who comes from that background, Alan Walsh, who who runs a boxing club in Anfield and is going around talking to a lot of schools and and dealing with that, and John Hughes, who who used to work in the the nighttime economy and is now very keen on trying to make Liverpool City Centre in particular a safer place when it comes to knife crime. I asked Joe if he thought it was fair that local residents were having to step up to drive these campaigns and programmes. Not really, to be perfectly honest. Um, There are many tragic consequences that have emerged from a programme of austerity you know, that across the board have affected society in, in many, many different ways. Um, but one of them, you know, I mentioned the numbers about the, the tens of millions of pounds that the police have lost in funding, which has led to hundreds of officers less on our streets and more than 1,500 less in the force altogether. You know, that is going to have an impact. Liverpool Council's been one of the worst hits in the country. It's going to have an impact. You know, the Sure Start centres, I think the funding dropped from about 14.5 million to about 7.5 million between 2010 and 2014 alone. 
you know, this is a loss of positive voices within a community and structures which can help you know, prevent things like this from happening, from knife crime becoming an issue. And the loss of them is effectively forcing, you know, as well as creating more crime, it's also forcing the victims of crime to be more proactive in the aftermath to try and prevent similar things from happening. Since 2010, police forces across the North have lost nearly one in every five police officers to cuts. In Merseyside, that loss rises to one in every four. As of March 2019, there were the equivalent of 3,396 full-time police officers at Merseyside Police, the lowest number on recent record, and down from 4,516 in 2010. Alan Walsh would like to see more officers on the streets to help tackle the problem of rising knife crime. I'd love to. I'd love to be more police on the streets, and the kids would. Just we've had, you know, I've never known it before. We've had so many kids asking for more stop and searches, and we've never known that before. And we've had the kids who are asking for more police because they're scared of knife crime. Nothing to do with anything else. Nothing to do with drugs, guns, or violence. It's to do with the knife crime, the petrified knife crime, because they all know the majority of them know somebody's been stabbed or somebody's been killed. Chief Inspector Andy Creer acknowledges that the loss of staff has made dealing with the problem more difficult, but believes that things are looking up. So I think we've got, we, you know, clearly we have seen a reduction in police officers and police staff in Merseyside. Um, we did get some funding uh, summer of last year uh, from the government to support the, the, the fight against knife crime, and that was when Operation Target was set up. So for the first time, we, we have, do have a dedicated response to knife crime and serious violence, uh, and we've got dedicated officers every day whose duty it is to, to look at the problem with knife crime and other serious violence and then to put things in place so, yeah, initially it has been a, a challenge for us in the early part of last year, uh, but since we've got the additional funding and put the additional resources in place, that increase in knife crime does appear to have slowed. Still, as I keep saying, there is, a, there is still an issue and there's still work to be done, but I think we're starting to see the benefit of that dedicated response. As well as Operation Target, Merseyside Police have also launched a new anti-knife crime campaign just last week, alongside local councils, the Police and Crime Commissioner, North West Ambulance Service, Crime Stoppers and the NHS. The purpose of the Blade Free campaign is to help young people steer clear of knife crime by providing support and opportunity. The scheme will work by promoting activities and initiatives such as sport, music and theatre to build confidence and aspiration and improve practical skills and employability for young people. Andy stresses that it's not just the responsibility of the police to deal with knife crime. Clearly, we'd, al we'd always welcome more officers. Um, we, we are starting to see an uplift in, in police officer numbers coming through um, that will probably take a little bit of time yet before we fully see the benefit uh, of those staff but certainly for the staff that we do have present now um, it, it's, it's become part of our everyday uh, duties that, that, are, that are being undertaken but you know again I always say it's not the police won't solve this issue alone we are a very small part um, in, in solving the pro problem uh, the, the public have got to step forward and, and do their bit and help us as have all the other partner agencies, whether it be the local authority, the fire brigade, health, everyone's got a part to play. Paul Bentley also believes that local people need to be working together with the police. As Scousers, we have a problem, we do. We, and, and, and I was the same when I was young, believe it or not. We are the police, the enemy of the police. We blame the police. Oh, it's their fault. It's not because the police aren't going out stabbing people. Yes, should they do more? within reason by all means but you have to know you have to also understand that I'm not sticking up for the police I'm not sticking up for anybody here I'm trying to I'm trying to have a mutual ground that's important for me now that I have a mutual ground with one side and the other side I'm nobody's enemy okay now the police wake up in the morning they put the socks on like me and you they kiss the kids goodbye and they go to work they shouldn't be dead they shouldn't have to put themselves in in these situations where you know they, they, they could get killed by all means this is the job that they asked for and I get that but 
that doesn't mean we, we you know we start pointing the finger at them and saying oh you know they should have done this they should have done that because you know what would you do me I'd be like look, I'm not getting stabbed I'm off do you know what I mean so it's hard it's difficult what do I like what would I like to be done I'd like the government the councillors and the police and the people to all sing off the same hymn sheet. Meanwhile, Alan Walsh warns that pointing the finger is not going to help improve things. We can't blame cuts in services and lack of finances for kids dying. We can't do that. It's wrong for us to do that. So we've got to come up and we've got to be creative and we've got to think of a plan, which, you know what, if we all lose our jobs, kids aren't going to still get killed. And we can't blame, oh, you know what, we lost £10,000 the other day. But so, like, two little kids have been stabbed to death, but we, that's because we lost. It's not right. We need to get the community involved. We need to get them right on board with what we're doing. Because if they are police cuts, at least the community is still based in that community. And they're the ones who can police that community themselves. And they're the ones who can educate their kids on the right and wrongs too. Mandy Jameson also thinks that the community needs to come together to tackle the problem of knife crime, particularly parents. It takes a community to raise a child. Now, we need the community to back us in what we're doing. So without other parents' help, no matter if they feel sorry for me or not, that's why they're following me, I don't know. But at the end of the day, they need to stand up and go, look, this is happening all the time. It's got to be... We must be doing something wrong. Because if they don't, that same mentality is going to grow up with them. And then they're going to put that mentality into their children. And then it's never, never going to end, is it? So we need to stop it now before it gets any worse, basically. Paul Bentley agrees. It's all of our jobs. We live here. These are our children. These are the future. These are the people who are going to be creating things to make the city better. So, you know, we should all stick in, we should all just stick in together here. No enemies, no problems, no government stupidity. Let's just save the kids. I asked Paul if he felt that the community response so far had been making a positive difference. Without a doubt, without a shadow of a doubt, definitely. Because it's bringing people together. Now, if you bring somebody together to fight, then you've created an army. You know, one person can't do one thing. You know, a group of people can create quite a lot. I, I, once I said earlier, you know, put a load of scouts in a room, it'd be hard to beat them, very hard to beat them. Put a load of manks in a room, hard to beat them. Put a load of anybody in the room, it's hard to beat them. So it's, it's about coming together, it's about creating unity, which we've done. Thank you for listening to another episode of The North in Numbers with me, Annie Doak, and many thanks to my guests for sharing their stories with us. Join us next time for a football special on the 7th of February when my colleague David Dubas-Fisher will be discussing the financial hardships many Northern football clubs face and how they might be able to overcome them. The Northern Numbers is a laudable production.